0: It's like going to the doctor and you know the cure, and you can't share it with your patient what the cure is, Yes, and you just have to watch them die yes. and end up oh. in jail. Like I knew the cure, and I couldn't share it. And so when we got the call from my pastor um, in Chicago to come run our outreach and our safe house and all that, I mean, I left a six-figure job to come do this because this is how Like I know that I know that I know, and I've seen it firsthand on both sides, yes. and I've seen money thrown at problems to programs that without Christ, it's not sustainable.
1: Restore lives and glorify God by recognizing the innate value and dignity of every person. That's the mission of A Way Out Ministry. Judge Mark A. G. Gibson County, Tennessee, General Sessions Court says, A Way Out is without a doubt the best resource I have in the state for young women being trafficked. A Way Out Ministries was founded right here in Memphis, Tennessee in 1992 and was the first ministry in the United States who specifically sought to help topless dancers. Now, today, they take action against sexual exploitation and pornography by advocating for legislative changes, helping rescue and restore those victimized by and trapped in the sex industry, and educating the community on the harmful impact of the sex industry. Hi, and welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. Over the years, I've had the privilege of talking to several of the team members and clients of Up. Including Carol Wiley, Russ White, and George Kirkendall After a careful search and much prayer A Way Out now has a new executive director And we want to introduce Katrin Valencia And learn more about her journey What brought her to A Way Out
0: Katrin, how are you doing? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me today. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Your smile is brighter than my video light. I mean, you're lighting
0: up this whole room. Amen. Uh, To God be the glory. Amen. I love
1: that. So you've got this new position as executive director. You've kind of worked your way up through the ranks because you've been associated with A Way Out Now for a little while.
0: Yes. I started about two, three years ago volunteering. Um, I moved here five years ago to Memphis from Chicago and have a lot of background working with the courts and with women that have been trafficked. And when I moved here, I just looked on the internet, every organization that was working with sex trafficking survivors and found a way out and connected with Carol and have been volunteering in whatever ways that I can. Was
1: it difficult to transition from a Bulls fan to a Grizzlies (laughs) fan?
0: Uh, I'm not big basketball. I'm more football and I'm actually a Broncos fan because I grew up in Denver and then moved to Chicago. It's kind of strange, but (laughs) I'm now in Memphis and a Broncos fan.
1: (laughs) Well, I've never been to Chicago. I've always wanted to go and try the the pizza. And- yes.
0: Stuffed pizza. Yeah, the
1: stuffed pizza. Fabulous. My kids took a trip before COVID, okay? Yeah. A lot of people did things before, before COVID. Before COVID, yes. Anyway, we're so glad to have you here. I'm looking forward for us to learn more about your journey. Yes. And I was looking at your bio, and boy, the background information. God has really blessed and directed you in so many ways. First of all, I want to know about your husband. And you've got two children, a boy and a girl, I believe.
0: I have three, so oh, I have two you, boys you and added, a girl. Added, I <laughs> added one. He's, he's 10, but I do, have, I do have, I have two boys and a girl, right in the thick of teenage years, Um, married to an extremely godly man who loves the Lord and um, is also very active in inner city ministry and has an amazing testimony and has worked a lot with, um, we ran a bus ministry, so we worked a lot with kids that live in the projects. So he has a huge heart for the Lord, too. So this is a a life call on our our whole family, not just myself. So
1: you grew up in the Chicago area.
0: I grew up middle school on in Chicago, in the suburbs.
1: So what was family life like? What about your parents?
0: My dad is a retired physician, pediatric neurologist, um, and grew up um, in Denver. And then we moved to Chicago. Uh so I grew up in a doctor's daughter's home. Um graduated high school, went on to college in Ohio. Was a, lived in Ohio for 4 years and I moved to Washington D.C. and worked there in the government for a little bit and then came back to Chicago. So does that so, mean
1: you're a Buckeyes fan? No. No. <laughs> oh, you went to I
0: I know. How do you how do you escape Ohio and not be a Buckeyes fan? You know, the the south is very into the SEC. The north is more into Major League and Major, you know, so I I don't know. I, I, and, missed, I missed that boat. I, and I didn't
1: want to talk about sports today, okay? We're not here to talk <laughs> yeah. about that, but it just, it just kind of popped in my yeah. head as we were talking. I don't, so, Katrin, when did you first get involved with women victimized and trapped in the sex industry?
0: Yeah, so when I was in my 20s, a um, long time ago, I had uh, I was a juvenile probation officer, and I had always heard about sex trafficking, but I thought of it more happening overseas, you know, globally. And then when I was a probation officer, I was a woman, female, young, and so I got all the girls that would come in from a high crime district in in Chicago and I started noticing that I'd had 12 13 year old girls come in with 35 40 year old men and they were older than me and so I just it raised my eyebrows obviously and I just you know, started inquiring and asking. And that was really when my eyes opened to the issue of sex trafficking. And then I I just had it in my mentality that, okay, this doesn't just happen overseas, but this also happens in the inner cities of our our country. And then as I started volunteering with my church, um, we had an outreach ministry that started in the 90s called Rose of Sharon. And we would go out, and we would minister to women that were being prostituted on the streets. Um, And we saw women from every neighborhood. We would go into strip clubs, we would go into massage parlors, we would go. And so that's when my eyes were open even more that this is happening in every community, rural, um, you know, suburban, everywhere that that it happens. So that's it. Really started in juvenile court and seeing the girls when they're really, really young, and then you know, going into outreach and seeing that these girls are coming from all walks of life.
1: So was that the Cook County Juvenile Court that you worked from 1999 to 2013? Correct. You served as a legal advocate, deputy chief, and the faith-based coordinator in the Juvenile Probation and Court Services Department. Sounds like you learned a lot during that
0: time. I did. You know, I love that the Lord uses everything throughout your journey, and he recycles it for the kingdom. And a lot of the assignments that I got there, I'm just seeing how he's using all of that in terms of grant writing, in terms of, you know, programming, evidence based programs, all those things that I learned when I was in the courts, he's really, you know, Recycling that back to now use for the kingdom. And I also, I also understand when a woman comes to us and they're on probation, you know, I understand the ins and outs of how probation works and how courts work. Um, a lot of times, like when we would do rescues, um, the girl wouldn't be safe where we're at. We have to relocate her to another city because her trafficker lives here. So I have a lot of partners around the country, but if they're on probation, They can't leave the state. And so knowing how to navigate working with probation officers and that, I kind of know how to speak their lingo because I was an officer for – that's how I started my career.
1: Well, your experience includes evidence-based juvenile justice program design with an emphasis on programming specifically for girls. Yes. what does an evidence-based juvenile justice program look like? I mean, that's a big term. There.
0: Yeah, it is. So basically, when you when you look at programming and you ask, does it work? Researchers will come in and they will analyze and look at your outcomes and see did this girl recidivate less if they received this recidivate means that they pick up a new case sometimes i use terms in there <laughs> they're, they're like standard terms me, you're a lawyer <laughs> so you're using those big terms yes so recidivism means that if, if somebody re-engages with the justice system so right. if they pick up a new charge and that's typically the way that you gauge success now we know as believers that that's You know, that's not always the case because sometimes people can go to jail and they recidivate, but they actually find Christ in jail. And, yes. and the redeeming power of, of, of Christ in jail. Praise jails. God for that. Yes. <laughs> yes.
1: So, I've but, actually had people on our show who have listened to this radio station while in jail Yes, and are now serving the Lord in ministry today. Absolutely. You know, it's so exciting. And God
0: uses them in those and, walls.
1: And I want to say hi to our friends in the Four City Correctional Institute. We received a letter just the other day. A gentleman had written about a resource that he asked for us to send to them, mm. which we're doing, and he said, we listen daily to the radio station. Amen. And so I don't want to forget. You know, we don't want to forget That's those right. in prison. That's right. So just a little Amen. note there. But God bless you if you're listening in a prison today, and we just thank you for joining us. Catrin, yes. um, women involved in prostitution are amongst the most victimized groups in society. Yeah. However, there are some who present it as a non-victim crime. Mm-hmm. Are these non-victim crimes?
0: No. Most of the girls that we work with at A Way Out, they have had trauma in their life sometimes since the womb, even when their mother was pregnant with them in the womb. And so they absolutely have been victimized throughout. their. Most of them have been sexually abused as a child. Mm. You know, a lot of times there's a myth that they do this by choice. You know, that there's some women that do this by choice, a renegade. But a seven-year-old does not say to you, when I grow up, I want to be a prostitute. That is just not the way that God designed us. And so something led to them getting into the situation. And most girls, even that are doing this on their own, they have a history in the past of somehow encountering a pimp who tried to recruit them or being, trafficked. Themselves. Well, th-
1: these relationships that victims have with their sex traffickers, mm-hmm. as you say, are often complicated. Yes. Some victims are trafficked by a parent, mm-hmm. a boyfriend, girlfriend, or people they've friends. And once they're prostituted, as you say, victims often blame themselves mm-hmm. and feel as if because they initially agreed to participate, they can never get
0: out that's a form of brainwash isn't it yes and and we know scripturally like the bible talks about the institution of marriage and what sex was designed for right and that it's a beautiful thing and god created it and the enemy has come in and perverted this but the bible says that the two shall become one right and so a lot of these women we look at it and say well why don't they just leave why can't they just separate from this person in the spiritual realm we know that we were talking today in our staff meeting that there's a soul tie there is something that happens spiritually that draws them back but also so it's more complicated than that a lot of times this is they've groomed these girls like i said I, I had 12 13 year old girls that didn't have parents that had a 40 year old that was taking care of them they may have been with this trafficker for 10 years and to leave that relationship when this is your normal what we think of as normal and we label but this is yes. what they've grown up in and so this is normal to them this is their family absolutely yeah and so teaching them their identity of who they are in christ and re you know renewing of the mind right and renewing that and bringing the truth of the gospel of who they were created to be and teaching them it's it's so Encouraging when you see women go through that process and yeah. learning who they were created to be and that they have a purpose. And that God uses all of that and they're able to then get back and reach other women yeah. that, that have been hurt. I've like talked
1: them. to Kara Wiley about this same topic here and I asked her one time, as you mentioned, the process of having your thoughts changed, you know, redirected. And I remember her saying it's different for different people, mm-hmm. but there's that aha moment uh-huh. when the light switch turns on.
0: Absolutely. It's so beautiful. It is. And to be able to sit in the room and see, that happen and walk yeah. somebody yeah. Um, to salvation and walk some, And then the most incredible thing, because I believe the true healing for the women is forgiveness, forgiving themselves. Forgiving their parents, maybe that have hurt them and even forgiving their trafficker. I mean, that for me, because I look at it and I, you know, in your flesh, you just you get angry and you get. But imagine if God can save the trafficker, if he can save the customer, then you end demand. Yes. And so if God can get a hold of that. And so see, I remember one time just sitting in our chapel, sitting in a chapel in the program in Chicago and seeing a girl pray for their trafficker. I was just blown away, not in a way that she wanted to get back with no, him, no. Not, in, not in that, that right. perverted way we just talked about, yes. but in a way of, God, I don't want anybody else to get hurt. Could you please save him? And so to see them go through that process of, of forgiving what I call the unforgivable, like in our flesh, to see them walk through that, they encourage me. I mean, I have learned so much from these women and the resilience of them to bounce back and love and learn how to love in, in the in the agape, pure love. Yes. Um,
1: Here, Katrin, are a few statements that I found from victims of sex trafficking. Mm -hmm. I've always had someone in my family or family friend to do things to me growing up. So when a pimp and I started talking, it just went on from there. Mm -hmm. My dad told me to go and make his money. He was 13 years old. Mm -hmm. Uh, I started working at a strip club and wanted more money. My boyfriend got me involved. He's very manipulating with his words. He very quickly, over time, made me feel worthless and made me feel that I couldn't do anything, so he pushed me in that direction, saying it was my way to help out pay the bills. Mm -hmm. She went along with this thinking that she was making him happy. Mm -hmm. I was 15 years old, and a family friend showed me how to make fast money by prostitution.
0: Mm -hmm. These are similar stories you hear right here in our city. Correct, yes, and and you, we often see that it's generational. So we serve a generational God from generation to generation, and a lot of times this trauma is being passed down generationally to, to these, but yes. And I've seen, you know, one of the most horrific, you know, we I used to say I could write a book about this, but I did, and so I I, I can now say that, but I, I, I literally, one of the most atrocious stories that I remember, I won't say her name, but she was trafficked by a doctor and a lawyer. In Phoenix, And so we would partner with other because she wasn't safe there. And this was a very high level. Homeland Security was involved, DEA. And to see her come out of that. But she was trafficked by her parents when she was young, when she was little. And so this is like, like the stories you just read. This is what she's known. This is her normal. And so they grow up in this um, environment where only the lord only the lord and that's why i transitioned out of the courts because i loved the work i did there but i i just started seeing a revolving door and that i was a band-aid and i it's it's like going to the doctor and you know the cure and you can't share it with your patient what the cure is yes and you just have to watch them die and end up in jail like i knew the cure and i couldn't share it and so when we got the call from my pastor um, in Chicago to come run our outreach and our safe house and all that, I mean, I left a six-figure job to come do this because this is how, like, I know that I know that I know. And I've seen it firsthand on both sides. And I've seen money thrown at problems to programs that without Christ, it's not sustainable. And so it's just, it's an honor and a privilege to be able to actually now be working at a way out and and be part of this incredible team that has just a legacy and a foundation that we pray that we can just continue well beyond me yes if the lord should tarry so
1: (laughs) well as you say cash doesn't cover a multitude of sins
0: Mm, that's right only the
1: blood of jesus christ can truly cover and transform and set us free you know Okay, so as we mentioned at the beginning, you stepped into this position having already been associated with the Way Out. I think you started as volunteering, being part of this great group, A Way Out Ministry. What do you like about the direction that A Way Out has taken over these years? And it's been around since the early 1990s. And what are some things that you might like to change or maybe do differently in the ministry?
0: Well, the best thing is it's sound doctrine and it's all the Bible. So we are unashamedly a faith-based, Christ-centered program. And so... That That is our strength. That is our biggest strength is that we all love the Lord. We are all called to this. This is not a job. This is a calling on our lives. Yes. And so the whole team has just been so gracious during this whole process is is that this is a calling on our lives and we are ambassadors we are co-laborers with christ and so i think that for me at the end of the day no matter what change happens he does not change he's the same yesterday today and forevermore. so that will never change we will never compromise the gospel for a single penny that for me is the is the biggest strength and also just the the love and compassion that the team has for these women you can see it when the women walk in the room and they go over to miss carol and they go over to the team and they I mean they they've been loved on they've been shown the, the literally tangibly hands and feet of Jesus and they know the word you know they know the word they are given the word um, and so that that to me is the strength um, and we have a we have a, a great location and um, we have a house that is um, you know is is designed in a you know the the structure of the house is really nice the layout of it and so I feel like you know that that is a really um, a strength for us is that we do have a home. Right, you know, there's right. some sex trafficking programs that do outreach, but we have we have a home and a place for them to be. Talk
1: a moment why that's so important.
0: Yes. So we were talking about this today at our staff meeting, too. Um, We have women that come to and and boys, too. Boys are trafficked. I know we say a lot of times, women, but there are there are a lot of boys. There's a lot of trans. Um, I do a lot of online outreach to those that are trafficked online. And there's a lot of that. So when I say women, I'm including that as well. Um, But a lot a lot of individuals who have been trafficked, they end up in a lot of homeless shelters, they end up in mental health institutions, they end up in drug treatment institutions. And a lot of these these places, when you go to them, it's literally a large building. They may bunk with somebody. They may have a long hallway where they go down to dinner. Or they mm-hmm. it feels like an institution. It feels like a jail. We are a home. We have a house, a home. Yeah. And when when you walk in, and the first thing that we that we 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 say to them is welcome home. Wow. Welcome home. They've never had a home. They never put up a Christmas tree. They've never opened presents. They've never had stockings, maybe with their name on it. It's a home, and we teach them what home is and what family is in a healthy way. And so that, to me, is one of our strengths: is that we have a home. And when I when I got asked to be the director, I was so happy because we do have a home, and we can where we can bring them. And the, in the in the vision, I think part of your question was, you know, moving forward. We re- I mean, we want to expand what we do. We want to reach more girls. Yes. We currently have the capacity. We have, you know, six people can live there. One is a house monitor. So five women. Um, there are thousands of women that are out there that need help. And those thousands of women, are they in our city or are you talking absolutely. about across the nation? No, absolutely. I go online every week to pull ads, to pull escort ads, and there are thousands of ads. They may be trafficked through Memphis. So, you know, they may be coming through with their trafficker for five days and staying here. But it's absolutely happening. Happening. We have cases from Millington, Ripley, I mean, the, Lexington, not just in Memphis, but our whole Mid-South region. A lot of times we think, oh, this is just in poor inner city. No, no, no. Actually, I was just at a training about a month and a half ago that a lot of these pimps that are trafficking these girls around the country, they actually have their main locations now are in rural communities because they won't be spotted there. They may be on 20 acres, 30 acres, they may buy a little house in the middle of nowhere because they can have these sex parties, they can have these things up. So it's happening in every community, every community. So the vision that I I would love to expand and um, we're praying as a team on what that's gonna look like and we're developing a growth plan together with our board and with our team. I would love a model where we have a rural part Of what we do, in Chicago we had 13 acres, about three and a half hours outside of Chicago, and the women started in the city, um, in the first part of it, and then they went out into the country. And there's just something anybody who's been on a women's retreat, a men's retreat, (laughs) and they go out and they, it's like respite, God's nature, yes. And so creation, like God speaks to us through creation, through a bird that lands, through a ripple in a pond, through Mm. the leaves waving. So having something like that, where the women, yes, we have a home, but then we have land where we can have you know pockets of homes, always a home model. I, again, I don't want to build this huge, large structure, but having that, but then also providing, hopefully opening up some social enterprise opportunities for the women. So having different opportunities that would cre- uh, not just generate revenue for the ministry, but also create job opportunities for the women. And, and
1: I think there's some initiatives that are actually happening right now, aren't they?
0: Yes. We partner with Renew All Candles, and the girls make candles, um, uh, and they go there and they make candles. Uh, and then we also have in the past made crosses out of broken dishes. And so basically how you can take something broken and make it into something beautiful and the girls make it. And so we're, we're looking at starting some of those things. Also, I, I would love to do uh, equine therapy. Um, if we have land, we're able to build barns and we could actually offer it to the women, but also offer it to the community, generate revenue. If we had barns, we could house horses that could be revenue generating. So just a lot of different ideas if we were to get... Some space and be able to uh, have job opportunities for the women. Last year, I, I brought some of the away out women. My friend owns about 50 acres, and we had gardening, and we had a plethora of cucumbers <laughs> and tomatoes. And, and we all got together and we taught them canning. And so we were teaching them how to can. And if we had six acres that we were farming and we could teach the women how to can and maybe come up with a signature salsa or signature pickles and sell them at farmer's market. Yes. So just different yes. ideas like that where we could be teaching the women, be also paying them, and then also generating revenue for the ministry. So, Wow,
1: I love the vision and the heart that you're mm-hmm. sharing, Katrin, with us. Something else I know that you're interested in is speaking and writing. You've written two books. I think you mentioned about writing just a moment ago. One of the books is Waiting, I Hate It, (laughs) Lessons Learned, Waiting on God, and a riveting book, Voices Outside the Stadium, Face-to-Face with Human Trafficking, Outside Major Sporting Events, where you document your encounters with human trafficking during the week of the National Football Championship game. Can you share, we don't have a lot of time, maybe one of your more intense encounters
0: Yeah. So this was not so that book is written by volunteers and myself. I'm going to share the one that I think is the most powerful, but it's not mine. It was a pastor that came with us, a man. And it's about a customer. Actually, we went to a strip club at the Super Bowl. We go every year and we rescue girls that have been trafficked. We were inside and the pastor was outside and they ministered to the bouncers and to the johns. This guy got out of the car and he looked really kind of nervous. He walked up and the pastor just started a conversation with him and asked, are you okay? what turns out that this guy was a youth pastor that was going into the strip club. And we intercepted him, and he was addicted to pornography. He just felt like this was the next logical step was to go to a strip club. And so this pastor was able to minister to him, and you know, share the gospel with him. And they exchanged information, and they still talked to each other about accountability. So just even intercepting a, a, you know, I've I've had many women just fall in my arms at strip clubs. So many stories. Oh, you know, just, yeah,
1: Katrin. Well, by the way, uh, you donate one hundred percent of the proceeds from the Voices, the book we just mentioned, to help. Reach, rescue, and place the human trafficking survivors that you encounter at these football games into a safe place.
0: Right. All that money goes right back to A Way Out. We actually have another book that's going to be coming out that the recent graduates at A Way Out, they really had a heart to give back to the ministry because they've been helped so much. And so they put together a um, a poetry book of poetry documenting some of their stories and how they were able to find a way out. So that's actually going to be released this week, tomorrow. Okay. So both those books, 100% of the proceeds go back into reaching other girls.
1: And how can we get copies of these
0: books? Amazon. So Amazon. Everybody Amazon. goes
1: to Amazon, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs>
0: yes. And it was fun to teach them how to, because I had published a book, so I was able to help walk through the publishing of that book to them. So that was a really fun process. Catron, how can our listeners support A Way Out? Yeah, definitely prayer. You know, I know that sounds kind of cliche-ish, right? Like, pray. Well, no, prayer works. (laughs) Invade heaven for us, please. We need prayer for our staff, for our team, for our city, for our region, for our country, and for the women that we serve. So please, please pray. We're always looking for volunteers. We have a great team that's ready. What do volunteers do? Yeah, so we have Bible studies that they can come to and they can lead. Um, We also have mentors. So we need people who want to spend time with women. We had a team out a couple weeks ago that was helping with yard work. Um, at our house they were weeding and built us a nice little fire pit there's an opportunity for everybody and sometimes people think oh gosh that's scary to me I could never do outreach or I could never you know I'm just scared there is a place for everybody yes. um, that wants to get involved
1: you didn't mention it so I, I don't think that wasn't intentional but financial support
0: absolutely you know it does cost money to run a ministry so absolutely donations um, are, are always welcome so wow. especially as we expand and we grow we're definitely going to need you know, financial support with and that. And
1: you can learn all kinds of things about the ministry and find ways that you can give by going to the website, which is awoministries.org, standing for A Way Out, but awoministries.org. Friend, please go to the website and uh, discover the history. I mean, this is a great ministry. They have the track record, not only for the glory of Christ, but the dedication, the work that they've done. You have listened to this show for any period of time. We've actually had clients come and share their testimonies. And we'll have to do that more. I invite you to please bring some clients back and let them share their stories. And that's part of the healing Healing. process too, right?
0: Absolutely. The Bible says, you overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. (laughs) And as much as we can get these women not to exploit their stories because they need to have freedom in sharing what God and Christ has done in their life. So absolutely. Catherine.
1: God bless you, my dear sister. God bless you. Thank you for what you're doing for Christ's kingdom. Amen. Thanks for being our guest today. Thank you
0: for having me. Well,
1: friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.